You know, you may not know this about me, but I really enjoy a good Southern Gospel Quartet. Um, it is something that I don't often listen to, but it just speaks to my soul in a way not many other things can. And one of the reasons for that is because I grew up being forced to listen to it every single day of my life. And uh, it was in the car, it was on the TV on Sunday mornings. I was talking uh, this morning with someone about how my dad would wake up and it's like the first thing he would do, I don't think he drank coffee. The first thing he would do is he would turn on the Moles Singing Convention. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. But, and we'd listen to it up until the time we left for the house and then we'd go to Night Praise 96.3 and then we'd get to church and sing it all again. Um, and I'm just gonna be honest with you, I hated it. It was miserable. But yet, as I got older, I found myself like getting these tunes and being, finding myself wanting to listen to it. And so like songs like that uh, are just special to me because it was something that was passed down to me. And y'all, I cannot let it go. Did you see the beard on the guy in there? Right? I mean, that was awesome. Uh, so I don't think Pastor Keith would be okay if I grew my beard that long and my hair out. I don't think I can grow my hair out that long. And my wife just said no, so... Yeah, there's that. Um, <laughs> but that was something that my grandfather and my papa and my dad, they loved. My papa till the day he died, my dad to this day. And it goes perfect. Uh, I believe the Lord just really um, led David to that when he mentioned it to me earlier this week. Because this passage, if you have your Bibles, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, really picture what I experienced there. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter six, God is reminding his people of his covenant that he's made with them. And he is calling them to live in loving devotion to him and to pass that love on to the next generation. And as I was sitting down this week to pray over this, and even when Keith had sent me a message asking about preaching today, this passage was on my heart, and I, I tried to get away from it, and I, but I kept coming back to it. I mean, I'm the family pastor. This is the passage family pastors preach, what we're supposed to do, I guess. But then I started thinking, when I got to look at where those people were, the Israelites were, when they heard this message, it's a place you and I can relate to today. You see, the Israelites, this was a new generation. And they're about to enter into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They've been wandering in the wilderness for decades, and now they get to enter into the promised land. And there's some excitement. There's also a lot of unknown. And God knew what was lying ahead. He knew in the midst of all the excitement, there was going to be a whole lot of hardship. And God in that moment prepares them in the book of Deuteronomy by calling them back to his love for them and their love for him. The promises and the covenant that he made to them. And I think for us today, standing here on January the 9th in 2022, we can relate to that a bit. You see, it's early in the year. There's some excitement that maybe 2022 will not be like the last two years. Like maybe there will be some less mask wearing, maybe some less social distancing, maybe some less uh, 
news controversy, I'll put it that way. Personally, maybe you're thinking, these have been miserable years for me. And I'm hoping this year is going to be better. But the truth is, we don't know. And just like God's people then needed to be reminded of God's love for them and needed to be called to live in loving devotion to him and pass it on, you and I need that reminder today. Because you see, Jesus, when he was asked in Mark chapter 12, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verses four and five. And Jesus told us this was the greatest commandment because Jesus calls believers to live in loving devotion to him and to pass that love on to another generation. You see, it is this love for Jesus and this diligence to pass it on is, I believe, the only thing that will carry us through the unknown. And so this morning, as we come to this passage, as we come to this text, I hope and pray that we can respond better than the Israelites did. So if you would stand with me as we read this text, it should be on the screens beside me. This is what the word of God has to say this morning. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray over the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, what do we want to hear from you this morning? Lord, we want you to speak through your word and you prick our hearts. God, you challenge us, you encourage us, you speak to us and meet us where we are. Lord, we are people who never outrun our need for a savior. And so Lord, this morning we need you. Lord, I pray that you would increase our love for you today. God, whether... Wherever we are, God, you make us love you more today because we can't force it. And God, you give us your wisdom and your eyes to see how we can go on about passing on that love to others and the next generation. God, don't let anyone hear my words. Don't let anyone see me. But God, you let me fade away in the cross. And Lord, I pray we each of us would walk away from this room looking to Jesus, our hope in Jesus, our strength in Jesus, knowing that we cannot keep the law. We don't have to, but we can live in loving obedience because it's your power at work in us. 
God, we love you. You speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage, as I said, is the one Jesus had quoted when he was asked what is the greatest commandment. And that is true even when we talk to Jews. You see, in Jewish life, this text is called the Shema. And the Shema is the Hebrew word that is used for hear. And it's considered to be the heart of all of God's law. Even in Judaism, it's considered to be the heart of the law because it rises and falls with this text. Even so much so that if you are a good practicing Jew today, you will quote this two times a day. You will pray this to the Lord two times a day. And what we discover as we begin to look in this passage and the importance of it is that God is calling them them to listen, not just hear. It's similar to the sense of, now some of you are better than I am, I'm sure, but there are times at my house where my wife Megan will tell me to do something or ask me to do something and I will hear her but I didn't really listen. I don't know if y'all ever do that or not. I hope you don't. But it kind of goes something like, she said something, I'm on my phone or I'm doing something else, and I heard her, and all of a sudden, then I hear, did you hear me? And you have that little panic attack in your chest right there. Like, and we're all too proud, or at least I am most of the time, to say, honey, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you at all. Please forgive me. So we start thinking, we start grasping. It's like, oh gosh, okay. I think I heard her say laundry. Yeah, laundry. Okay, yeah. did you want me to go get the laundry? And then you might hear what I hear. No, I didn't want you to get the laundry. What are you doing? Listen to what I'm saying. Now, like I said, some of y'all are much better husbands than me, I'm sure. But that's the sense that God is speaking right now to the people and to us today. He's speaking and saying, I don't want you just to hear the words. I want you to listen and then actually go and respond to what I've said. You see, it is so easy for us to come into this room today, to hear all the songs, to hear the sermon, to hear announcements and go to Sunday school and hear all that was said but we never really listened. And this morning, before we even dive into this, I believe we need to ask the Lord to help us listen and respond. Because that is what this text calls us to do. And really it's calling to two specific things. It tells us first, we're called to love the Lord your God and we're called to pass it on. Love Jesus and pass it on. You see, Israel is standing here about to enter into the promised land and God is reminding them of what he's done for them. The book of Deuteronomy has a certain genre that it was written in. You know, we have books that are fiction, books that are nonfiction, like biographies. We have books that are more textbook. We have different styles of writing. And it's helpful to know that because if you go into a horror book expecting a romance novel, it ain't gonna go well. 
In the same way, this book of Deuteronomy is written in a form of covenant treaty. And what happens when you write that way is you are, you start out the book and that's what he does, what God does here in Deuteronomy. And he reminds them of their history, the history of their relationship. And he writes for several chapters about what God has done for them and how God had brought them across multiple generations to where they are today. And then in verse, or chapter 5 into chapter 6, he begins to describe to them and define their relationship. And define, this is what it looks like if you're going to have a relationship with me. This is what this covenant requires of us both. And one of the things that is so important to this, about this covenant, this relationship they have, is that it's personal. In chapter, verse five, there are 26 words, and you or your take up a quarter of those words. He's driving home the point, your God, your heart, your soul, your strength, love the Lord, your God. This is an invitation to a relationship with the Lord, which is completely contrary to the people around them, the gods that they serve, the multitude of gods. You are always worried, did I make them mad? Are they going to hurt me? But yet the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God who invited his people into a loving covenant relationship. And because of that, he calls them to love him. He calls them to live out of loving devotion to him. See, they, when they got to the promised land the Israelites were heading to, it was going to be hard. They were going to have to drive out godless people to inhabit the land that God had promised. They were going to lose people they loved. They were going to go through hard times. They were going to have sleepless nights. And I truly believe that God knew obligation and duty and fear would never carry them through what laid ahead or what lied ahead. And we need to know that same thing. Because the reality of it is, this year that we face, we don't know what's going to happen. The last two years saw us anything, it's expect the unexpected. And if you are only living for the Lord out of duty, out of obligation, because you're supposed to, that won't carry you through those hard times. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Him this morning? Not just going through the motions, not just doing the things that you're supposed to do, but do you genuinely love the Lord your God? You see, we define love in so many different ways today. I can love my pizza. I can love my cell phone. I can also love my kids. I can love my wife. And hopefully I don't love my pizza the way I love my wife. That would be weird. And so we need to know what God means here. Because love for them was not simply an emotion, but it was an action to be carried out as well. 
And so it was much more than a feeling because you can't command feelings. We talk about this with students all the time. I cannot command you to be scared. Like I can walk up to you and say, be scared, be scared. And maybe eventually I'll provoke the emotion of fear, but I can't just look and say, I need you to be scared right now because you can't command emotion. But yet in this moment, God commands us to love because love was an action. And that love looked like an all-encompassing love that covered every part of their life. It was a love that he points in, he's getting to the point, you gotta love God with all you got. You see, the heart that he mentions here with you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He mentions that because he is pointing us to what they believe was the center of the will. It encompassed both your thoughts, your emotions, your physical heart, and the choices that you made. And when he's looking at it, he's saying, you are to love the Lord your God with all the way you think, the way that you feel, the way that you live, and the choices you make are to be characterized by your love and your loving devotion for the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, you should love the Lord your God with all your soul. This idea of soul for us is like some blob, almost like, you know, they didn't really get this, I don't think, in the first service. I'm hoping you all do. Like, Dr. Strange level, you know, you get hit in the chest and your body comes flying out. You know, some of y'all got that more than the first service. That's good. Um, we got, that's how we understand soul, but that's not what they're getting at. Soul was your physical being. And so he says, not only are you to love God with all your thoughts, your emotions, and your choices, and the way you live your life, but you're to love God with your entire physical existence. Everything you do physically should be characterized by your love for the Lord. It should define everything in your physical existence. I, one commentator put it this way, and I thought it was good. He said, your soul characterized the twinkle in your eye, the giddy in your giddy-up. We are to love God with the giddy in our giddy-up. But he goes on and says, with all your strength, that word strength there is literally, it's our word very. He says, love God with all your very. Because that makes perfect sense, right? It's an adverb. It's used to add uh, exceedingly abundance. And what he does here, as by adding that on at the end of this, God is looking and saying, love me with abundance. Love me with everything you have, your money, your relationships, your stuff, the way that you live your life. Everything in your life is to be characterized by your love for me. I think that's good for us to know. Because so often it's easy for us to compartmentalize our lives and think I love God today because it's Sunday or when I'm around a certain group of people but once I go home, I don't have to love God the way I did over here. Or I don't want to make the people at work feel weird, so I'm not gonna really love God at work the way I do somewhere else. And what God is calling them to is an all-encompassing, loving God with all you got. He's calling us to that today. To love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your strength. And we've got to get this. Because watch this. You cannot give to someone else what you do not have. And if you're expecting to pass on to your kids and your grandkids a love of Jesus, it's not gonna be passed on if you don't have it as well. We have to love the Lord, our God. And I hope that we love him today and if we don't, he meets us where we are and we come to love him with all we have. But he doesn't just stop there because God never intended for the people he was speaking to that day to be the last. He never intended for them to say, okay, God, we got it, we're good. But God intended for his people to multiply, his people to spread, and that the whole earth would be filled with worshipers of God. And so they were called to pass on their faith. That love they had for God was not to die with them, but they were to lead their kids and their grandkids and those around them to love him as well. And in verse seven, he looks at them and says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Some of your translation might say, repeat them to your children, impress on them. That word teach there is, carries the visual idea of carving or engraving something into stone, of taking a hammer and a chisel and then engraving it there. And he's getting the point across that the words that are being spoken, the love and the covenant that God has made to these people and all the things that God had done for these people, they were to tell those and teach those who were to come. They're their kids, the next generation was to know there's a God. Was to know that there's a God who has done great things. There's a God who's not just done great things back in the day of Abraham. There's a God who did great things in my life. And they were to repeat that so much so that it was instilled in their next generation. And I think that's by Careful choice. Because you see, in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, we're told that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is often the way of the wicked, the way that goes against God. And what I believe you see when you really watch kids is you begin to watch as they go from that cute little baby to these cute little sometime monster-like creatures that just are stubborn and want their way and you have to point them in certain directions because sinful hearts don't comply. And God knew that they were gonna be raising sinful humans. And those sinful hearts needed day in, day out, repetition that they need a savior of what God had done. They were to repeat that over and over to them. And I love how God gives us a little template for how we do this in our everyday life. He looks and he uses like this contrast, so whether you're hanging out and at rest or whether you're busy and on the go, you're to do this. He says, you're to teach them when you're sitting in your house or when you're walking on the way. You're to teach them when you're 
going to bed and when you're waking up. And I love that. He calls us to take every opportunity and every moment, look for ways to tell and our kids, the next generation about Jesus. How often do we do that? You know, it is one of the things that we can do in simple ways. I think we try and make this into, I've got to hold a little sermon for my kids. I've got to hold a family worship service. And sure, do that. That's great. That's awesome. But I think it can be as simple as taking that time in the car. And if you've got teenagers, you can take the headphones and trapping them in that vehicle and just sharing Jesus with them. You don't have to be weird about it. I mean, it's gonna be awkward. It's always awkward, but I told you, awkward's my superpower. But ask me, hey, son, how can I pray for you? Hey, honey, you know what? I've really been struggling with this. God's been teaching me that. Let me share with you what God has done in my life. Grandparents, if you have grandkids that you keep, tell them your stories. Tell them how God's been faithful in your life. Tell them, let them know that the God you love is a God they can love and a God who isn't a God of yesterday. He's the God of today and tomorrow. Are we Pointing our kids, and when we sit at home, when we're on the go, I know we're busy. Are we using every opportunity we can find to point them to their Savior? And you know, oftentimes it can be easy for me in my position to look, and I believe this is all my heart. So I, unapologetically, I will tell you this. What you do at home will have a greater impact on the eternal destination of your kids than anything we do here at church. I believe that wholeheartedly. They see you every day. They don't see me every day. And if you say you love Jesus and don't live it, that makes an impact. But I think it's easy for me to look and say, well, if you just actually follow Jesus, your kid would love you. Or your kid would probably come to know Jesus. I want to tell you, that's wrong. Because having, raising these two sinful children that God has blessed me with, it's a whole lot easier to pray for my daughter before she throws her pants at me because she didn't want to wear the outfit that I'd picked out for her because she's four. It's a whole lot easier. There's nothing like having prayer at the dinner table and our kids have been laughing or giggling or throwing a chip across the room and having to immediately come and say, we don't do that while we pray. Like, yeah, that makes them want to pray, right? It's exhausting. It's frustrating. And I think that's why God used the image of chiseling into a rock. Have you ever like chiseled something? Sanded, like not with a machine, but by hand? It's exhausting. Like eventually you start sweating. Eventually your arm gets tiring. It's exhausting. It's hard. It's hard when we want our teenagers to love the Lord, but we can't get them to come out of their bedroom. It's hard when we want our adult kids to raise our kid, your grandkids to know Jesus, but they won't even talk to you about it. It's not easy. And, but what I love about this passage, it doesn't just say you do this at home, it's spoken to a community. 
Those yous, those yours, they're y'alls. And he also says, y'all do this. Y'all love the Lord. Y'all teach these to your children. You see, because it's hard, we need one another to help us in this task. We cannot pass it on in our own strength. We cannot pass it on alone. We need one another. You see, that's why we have these faith at home centers that have tools that hopefully make it a little bit easier and a little bit more likely that when you have difficulties, you can find some resources. That's why those exist. That's why we have faith path so that whatever age your child is, we can encourage you to encourage faith in your children. Those things exist, but I'm just gonna tell you, those things cannot replace someone who has been where I have been and can look at me and say, it's gonna be okay. When I can be frustrated and sitting there looking up saying, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I want my kids to love you, but I got no clue how to do it. It is a blessing when someone can walk up to me who has raised kids and they love the Lord and look and say, it's gonna be all right, Josh. You know what, I've had one like that and it ain't easy, but I can help you. Nothing replaces that. We need to be a church looking, being diligent to help one another. If we're gonna pass on our faith to the next generation, we have to be diligent at home and diligent in the church. We need each other. One of the greatest blessings to Megan and I, and it's one of the reasons why uh, we pray with our kids every morning, was this couple at a church we were at called Roy and Nell Stanton. Now they were Texans who had transplanted to the mountains of North Carolina. And Roy, like, he looked like he stood seven six, and he would wear a cowboy hat that pushed him like to eight feet tall. Uh, he, and he had one of those voices, he wasn't that tall, it just seemed that way to me. He had one of those voices that when he spoke, you just wanted to sit there and listen. And they would invite us over for dinner and we got to talking with them and just over getting to know them, they shared with us how they would pray with their kids every morning. Up until they graduated high school, they would pray with their kids so long as they lived in their house every single morning. And if they had friends, they prayed over the kids and the friends every morning. And they shared the story of how one day their daughter and one of her friends had spent the night and for some reason they forgot to pray over them that morning. And they went to school and when they came home, her daughter's friend came over and said, don't you ever do that again. She said, what, what, what did I do? She said, you didn't pray for me this morning and my day was terrible. Don't you ever do that again. They talked to us about how they believe one of the reasons their kids love Jesus is because they spent years praying over their kids. Now again, that's not a promise. Don't, don't hear that wrong. But I think it does highlight something for us. We put so much emphasis into one moment, one family devotion, a, a family time together, and those are good, but don't underestimate the power of 18 to 25 years 
of consistent, repetitive, little moments that point our kids to Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of 20, 30, 40, 50 years of looking to our kids and letting them know that God loves them. Let's not underestimate the power of what God could do through that. Because at the end of the day, we have no ability to save our kids. We have no ability to save our grandkids. We have no ability to save the next generation of Valley Grove. We're simply acting in obedience and trusting that he will move as we act in obedience. And the last thing he does in this passage, and I believe it's helpful for us, is I believe he tells them to be authentic in the way they pass on their faith. He begins to tell them, you shall bind the words, the covenant as a sign on your hand, as frontlets on your forehead, and you shall post them on your doors and your gates. In Jewish life, that became to be known as these phylacteries, that's a fun word, that you would wear on your head and on your hand, and these mezuzahs, you gotta say that with me, ready? Mezuzah, mezuzah. See, some of y'all just had the time of your life. You who didn't say it, you just missed out. They would put these over their doors. And over time, what happened is they, they lost track of what God really meant. When, so that when you get to the days of Jesus, he convicts and he condemns the Pharisees for this. They got to the point where they were content wearing the word of God, but not living the word of God. And I think so often we can replace the phylacteries with bracelets and necklaces and shirts and uh, mezuzahs with pretty little signs from Hobby Lobby. And we forget what matters most is a life surrounded in love for the Lord. One of the things that I think about from time to time is my obituary. I'm weird and I'm morbid, I know, it's okay. But I'll think about my obituary from time to time. And anytime I go to a funeral, I think the least I can do for this person is to read the little quarter sheet of paper about their life. I know some of us in this room, we believe we're closer to our obituary being written than others. But as we're often reminded so much that we're not promised tomorrow, When it comes time for your obituary to be written, will it be able to say without making stuff up, this person loved the Lord. This person loved God. And it was evident in the way they lived. And they wanted other people to love him too. I'm amazed that when I read and I see the people that one person impacts, the people who are survived by that person, it's oftentimes quite a bit, it's quite a list. I wonder, did those people know, not, they may not love the Lord, but did they know that they were wanted to love the Lord, that somebody wanted them to love God? And like I said, this isn't just a personal call. This is a call to our church. 
And one day, I hope it's never said that the obituary of Valley Grove is written because we were okay holding on to a love of Jesus but not being intentional to make sure others loved him too. You and I called to love Jesus and pass it on. I hope that when we get to the end, that will be true of us.